Welcome to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marian Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. I think one of the biggest questions that we have today is can we trust God? Can we trust Him with our life? Can we trust Him with our eternity? Well, Scripture is very clear. Yes, we can. And in today's sermon, I'd give you several reasons why you can absolutely, positively trust the Lord Jesus Christ with your eternity, but also with your daily. God bless you guys. I hope you'll give a listen. You ever heard this statement? You know he's lying when he's moving his lips. You ever heard that? I heard it many times. I've said it about some people too. You know they're lying when they're moving their lips. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to finish up chapter 6 today. But here's the truth about Jesus. You know He's always telling the truth when He speaks. Jesus is absolutely the opposite of what I just started with. Because He tells us that He is the truth. Every word He's ever spoken has been nothing but true. Every word he'll ever speak into your hearts will only be true. He cannot lie. The moment Jesus Christ tells any lie or any part of a lie, he ceases to be God himself. And then we are in major trouble. So, let's stand the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 6, we're starting at verse 13. The Bible says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, we're going to go back and deal with that, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we seek your face today. God, we want to know that we know that we know. We have that sure anchor, and we can trust you. God, would you move in our midst today, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, there's one point this week. I'm sort of liking this whole one major thought and then working through that and what the Bible says. So I have one major thought today, and then I'm going to prove that through Scripture. Here's the major thought. God's promises are proven faithful and true. I'm going to deal with that through. That's going to be my two little subpoints here. But God's promises. There are things that God has promised us in Scripture, is it not? Now, you may say, yeah, God, and I believe in my heart that God has promised me certain things, but I haven't seen it yet. That's okay. If He said it, if He truly said it, He'll bring it to pass. That's a promise that we have. So let's look first most. They're proven many times with patience. 
We live in a McDonald's drive through window. I want it now. I want this big house. I want this uh, new car. I want this. And I don't want to have to work at it. I want to graduate from college with this degree. And I want to have everything that my parents had or others had. I want it. And matter of fact, I deserve it. Sometimes things come through patience and work. A work ethic that many times I don't think we have anymore. But there are just some things in your life that God may promise you that He won't give you until later when you're mature enough and grown enough to accept them and know them and use them as He intended. Think about this. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. God made some promises to Abram. You know, later he would become Abraham, but at this point he was still Abram. I wrote this down. I said, are you willing to wait on God? Are you willing to wait for God to move as He has promised no matter the time frame? Are you willing to just camp down and say, God, I know you've promised me this. I know I've got a word from you. I'm just waiting for you to bring it to pass. Listen to this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, your, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now think about this, Abraham's background was that from Ur of the Chaldeans, they were moon worshippers, they were some idols, and for much of his life up until this time, he had been a worshipper of idols, but then God moved somehow. We don't have the background story, we don't know, and it doesn't matter, but God moved. And God moved so powerfully that when he said, Abram, I want you to get up and I want you to go, Abram got up and went to a place he did not know, to a country that he did not know. He did not know when God was going to say, you finally got it there. I want you to go. And then he says, when you get there, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now that would have to be, if it was going to come through Abram, he had to have a child. At age 75, he was promised this child, and he did not get that child until age 100. Now he tried to work it out because there was times even the most faithful of people fall and stumble at times. And Abram tried to do it his own way. Sarah said, take my, take my little maidservant, Hagar, and maybe God will do it through him. Or, or Abram at one point says, well, is it from this guy from Damascus that you're going to do this? And God said, no, just be patient. How many of us are willing to wait? We have this absolute example in Abraham and this promise of Genesis 12. How many times are we... See, and, and here's what we do a lot of times. We, we, we make these statements. Well, but that was Abraham. He, he was this mighty man and this mighty... You know what Abraham was? A fallen, sinful man, just like you and I. But one who obeyed God. That's where we differ. See, we want to put Abraham up on this pedestal and, and people like Gideon who followed through or even the disciples of the apostles that these great, powerful, mighty men of renown. You know why they were? Just because they were simply obedient to what God called them. They heard His promises and believed. 
How many of us are willing to do that very thing? He said, I'm going to make a nation out of you, Abraham. And it took years upon years. I believe there were some questions that Abraham had to work through to get where he was at. There were some decisions that Abraham had to make when God moved in his life there in Ur of the Chaldeans before he could go to this country that God would show him. I believe there are some things in your life that you need to address. That you need to answer. Let's go through them. Number one, here's the first question I believe you've got to ask yourself and answer. Can we trust God with our life? Can you? Do you know the answer to that? Oh, absolutely. Many of us will say, absolutely, I do trust Him. And I've given my life. I'm going to go live with Him in heaven. I'm going to do that. But here's the question. What about for today? What about to get you through this day? What about when you're world? And by the way, I'm not talking about when you're on the mountaintop. I'm talking about you trust God with your life when your life falls apart. When you are struggling just to get your breath, when you are struggling to put one foot in front of the other, when your life is fell apart completely and totally, and you're going, I don't understand this, are you still willing to trust God with your life to do something that only He can do? And by the way, the question is, why should you trust Him to do that? Flip over to Hebrews chapter 13. Let me give you one reason. In verse 5, at the very end, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's hearkening back to Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, when he tells Joshua, he says, man, you're going to go in and you're going to take over this land. And understand this, if you'll keep my word at the front of your life, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But then look at verse 8. Also, Jesus Christ is, present tense, means right now, it means it'll be right now and five minutes from now. It'll be right now ten years from now or hundred years from now. It was right then when he wrote these words. Jesus Christ is the same. It means not changing. It means there's not been one iota of change since eternity passing. We dealt with this. I dealt with this last Sunday night or the Sunday night before that when I dealt with the perfections of God that we cannot comprehend the fact that there's never been one iota of time that we can consider that God's not been and even there's never been one iota of time that we cannot consider that God has not been. God has flat always been. The same yesterday. Today. And forever. You know why I can trust God? Because He's still on the throne. He rules and He reigns from on high and He'll never change. I don't let society tell me how my life should be. God tells me. So how do you answer that question? Can I trust God with our lives? That will influence how you live also. Because if you don't know if you can trust Him, then you're just out there, man, floundering. James talks about don't be like the waves of the ocean. How about this? Can we take Him at His word? 
Can you trust this to be the truth, authoritative Word of God? Listen, from the very jump, what has been under attack? The first question of the Bible is this, is a full-out frontal attack on the Word of God. Has God indeed said? First question of the Bible. You know where He's going to attack you? You know where He's attacking us today? On this. Who gets to define marriage? Let me tell you, let me, let me answer that. God does. God determined it. God put Adam to sleep and He created Eve from a rib and He brought her to Him and that was the first. And Jesus Christ said it so. He said in the beginning God created them male and female. And listen, He said, and there's going to be the marriage and that's how it's going to be. Period. It does not matter what Washington says. You just hold on to that thought because I'm going to come back to it. Can you take him at his word? So what God has said in this word, does it ever change? And there are people going, well, you know, that's a man-made thing. Do you know how many different authors wrote this over a period of several thousand years and it never once contradicts itself? What are the odds? Yeah, but that was written by a man. That's just a man's book. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture. Preacher, tell me exactly what you think. Here's what I think. I think this is God's holy word. It'll, it's unchanging. It is inerrant. It is infallible. And by God, you'll never make me believe any other way because the moment I believe any other way, I'm going fishing. If this word is not true, what are we basing our life on? This is to guide you. God's word. Psalm 119 says this. Verse 89 says this. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. In other words, it is safe and secure. It is unchanging. It's not going to change. It's not going to bend because somebody in Washington wants to tell me that I'm wrong. It's not going to bend because you think you're, you are born the wrong way. It's not going to bend because you think something ought to be different. This book bends for no man. It is settled and secured in heaven. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says it's living and active. You know the reason some of you won't read your Bible? Because you don't want to change. Because I'm telling you, you get into this book, sin got to go. Hello? You, you get into this book, I'm telling you, something's going to change. And it's not going to be this. So you got to ask, and Abraham had to figure this out before he went and go. He had to say, God, are you really telling me to go and can I trust your word? Here's the answer, yes. How about this one? Can he keep us from falling? He can, he doesn't always. I mean, if you decide you're going to go down a road that's got full of potholes, he's not going to put up, sometimes he'll put a, speak, a talking donkey in the way, but not always. Because in those moments when He does allow you to fall, He teaches you more about Him. But He can. Go to the book of Jude. Some of you are going, what, what chapter, preacher? Well, there's only one. Jude 24. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. 
Now to him who is able. See, the problem is not that he's not able. The problem is that we don't let him. Oh, come on, that'll preach. The problem is not that he's not able. The problem is most of us don't seek his face. The problem is most of us don't ask before we step. The problem is most of us want to do it our way because we think this is some Burger King world. But if you ask, he'll show you the right path. How about this? Can he finish the work he started in you? Go to Philippians chapter 1. Paul said, I am sure of this. I love that. Paul said, I am sure of this. Not that I believe this to be the truth. I think I'm on the right path here. No, Paul said what? I am sure. So he says, he answers his question. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What day is that? That is the day that you see Jesus face to face. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, and says, when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he truly is. And that's the day your walk will be complete. Your faith will be complete because you'll no longer walk by faith, you'll walk by sight. And you'll be changed just like Jesus. Notice the can we, can we, can he, can he. The answer to all of them is yes. But the question to you is, will you allow it? The writer of Hebrews, as we're writing here, he's saying this. He promised Abraham, and he promised him not based on anything other than the fact of himself. But what does this mean? If you were to say yes to all of them, and you would strive to live your life that way, what does it all mean for you? In a word, freedom. You don't believe me? Go to John chapter 8. Go to John chapter 8. It means absolute freedom. I know some of you, especially teenagers here today or young adults who, who got that first taste of freedom and you guys are going out and you're partying and, and you're drinking and you're smoking dope and you're doing whatever else uh, and you go, man, I am as free as a bird, brother. No, you're not. Nope. I just, I just need this, this drink to get me through the day. Let me tell you something. If you need a drink to get you through the day, where is Jesus at? I just need to smoke this joint here because it sort of calms me. Why don't you try reading Psalm 23? That'll calm you. Man, I, I, I need to shoot up because I want to forget my problems. What are they going to be there when you come off that high why don't you just run here with your problem I mean seriously run to Jesus God God help me
Here's what Jesus said. If you abide in my word, y'all listen. And you are my and you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You'll be free in the midst of it. Listen, I got more freedom in my life to live out what I want to live out. And you're going, wait a minute, you can't, you got to live out the parameters of what Jesus said. Exactly, because I want to. That's the freedom and that's the truth, man. I'm straight telling you, man, I don't need no alcohol. I don't need uh, drugs and I don't need all this mess and I don't need the... I've never figured that one out, y'all. I don't know where that came from, Jay. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to get in the zone. Dude, if I did that, I swear I'd fall asleep. And that's not helping nobody. You will know the truth. The truth is Jesus. That's why I said that. So here's my question. Are you willing to be patient for the promises of God to be proven faithful and true in your life? See, too many times we get like Abraham. I'm gonna, so you lift him up and God, I mean, the writer of Hebrews here lifts him up, right? He talks about Abraham. But you do know that Abraham fell, right? I mean, number one, we, we talked about Hagar real quick. How about this? He's done all this. He's led him some 1,500 miles or so or whatever it was. And then a famine occurs, and instead of asking God what to do, he just takes off to Egypt, and when he gets to Egypt, he says, hey man, Pharaoh going to kill me. You are so beautiful, Sarah. So if they ask, you're my sister. So before we put Abraham up on a pedestal, he was a man just like us. Patience is hard to get but it is needed. But let me give you not only patience. He's proven faithful and true in a person. Jesus Christ. Let me give you three things this passage says about Jesus. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. Now this is not a hope so hope, it's a no so hope. It's a hope that is not like, man, you know, I hope when I walk out of these doors, it's going to be sunny. Yeah, well, it better, some better, clouds better part. That's just a hope so hope. I'm going to tell you all something. My hope is found in Jesus. And it's not no hope so, it's a no so. So the first point that Jesus, through him, proves his faith. He is our refuge and our strength. Psalm 46, verse 1. Tells us we ought to run to it. Listen, when there are times that you are struggling, when there are times you are hurting, don't run to anybody but Jesus first. He's the refuge. He's the strength that can keep you from the battering waves of life. He's the one that says, come into the ark and I'll protect you. Oh, you might fall down, but you don't fall out. How many? That's Jesus' stability. 
We need, do you not want stability in your life? He said, I'll be your refuge and your strength. Let me give you number two. Jesus is certainty. You ever been fishing? And fishing, I'm not, I'm not talking about in a pond where you're bank fishing. And specifically, I'm talking about in a river like the James River. Where you got to play, if you want to get on the fish, you got to throw down an anchor. Now, what is the deal with an anchor? An anchor is to go down in the midst. This is such a great app, application. In the midst of all the gunk and the mire and the, all this stuff at the bottom, right? All this mess. That anchor goes down there, it digs into the mud, and it holds fast and sure when it's doing right. But when an anchor don't hold, Hebrews chapter 2 says, be careful lest we drift away. Man, we'll be fishing, me and my brother and Drew and Ryan, and we'll be at the James River and we'll be fishing. I mean, I'm just killing them. You can ask them. They won't lie. They know. I just wear them boys out fishing, man. And I mean, we're just bam, bam, bam. Then the next thing you know, the, the bite stops. And you finally look around, and you are 200 yards from where you started. Now, y'all hang with me. Some of you are in stuff that you never thought you would be in. And you're there because your anchor was not set and sure because you didn't fully trust in Jesus. The enemy doesn't throw you in the deep end. You know, a frog put in water on a stove, if it's, if it's straight hot, he's going to jump right out. But if you just gradually turn the heat up on that frog, you will literally boil. He will not move out. If you gradually, gradually turn the heat up, he won't jump out. In your life, the moment you begin to let that anchor drag a little bit, you don't ever know where you're going to end up. The moment you don't place your anchor steadfast. You know why our country and the majority of churches have gotten to where they are? It wasn't because they threw it on us all at one time. It's been a slow current and shift. Well, if I can get you to just go along with this. And then I can just get you to go along with this. And I keep moving. And it, you ever notice it's never enough. Oh, we, we just want... We don't want civil unions. We got to, you got to identify marriage. By the way, I'm sorry. Scripture says it's between a man and a woman. Just so you know where your pastor stands. It's not between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Marriage is between, a, I mean, man and a man and a woman and a woman. It's between a man and a woman. That's marriage. Hello. And now it's moving on. And now, and now we, we, that's not enough. 
You either accept it or you get canceled. Well, you better cancel me because I'm never going to accept it. What did I say the other week? I'm going to love them. Going to love them with all I got. And I'm going to tell them the truth. I will never bend the truth to make political points or get somebody to keep their butts in these seats. Here's the truth. I'm going to love you, but I'm never going to condone it. It's flat wrong. Just get it all out there. The alternative lifestyle is wrong, according to God's Word. There is no such thing as transgenderism in God's Word. It's not. They're looking for an identity, though. we got to be there to love them. Love them right to the cross and love them right to Jesus. But stand against it. We've gotten there because we've slowly but surely gave ground. You guys ever seen... Uh, you, you guys ever sit, had any concrete around you and right in the middle of it, there's a, a blade of grass? Y'all ever seen that? How in the world did that occur? I mean, you could have this whole thing be poured with concrete and then right out here in the middle, you know why? There was one little crack. And somehow that seed got down in that crack. And over time, that sucker came up. You keep making cracks in your life, you quit putting that anchor in Jesus and nothing else, and you're going to have a whole lot of grass in the concrete of your soul. You better put your you better put your put your anchor down deep and get it where it doesn't drag and you just hold on to Jesus. And then let me give you the Bible part of it. Go to Colossians chapter two. Here's what you do. You receive Jesus. This is verse six. I had verse five up there, unless they change it. It's verse six. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I just believe folk ought to know you're a Christian without opening your mouth. Now, am I here to tell you that, that you need to open your mouth too? Absolutely. But they ought to know you as a Christian by the way you act. And don't tell me you're a Christian if you're drunk on a fish in a tadpole pool. I have no clue what that means. I don't exactly know what a tadpole pool is. I'm a believer, but I never go to church. I get hammered every Saturday. I drink beer after beer or whatever, whatever. And every night I got to smoke a joint to get through it. I got, don't tell me that because I don't think Jesus approves of that. Your body is to be a temple. See, we will, we'll, let, me, let me go make another comment. This is going to get some of you all kind of mad. We'll rip on transgenderism and we'll rip on gay marriage and we'll rip on all these things and yet the whole time we're the biggest alcoholic we know. We smoke dope more than anybody else we know. We watch pornography. And yet we're going to look down our arrogant noses at others.
Walk in Him. Root, I love this, rooted and built up in Him. Did you get in Him, in Him? And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And by the way, let me just deal with that real quick. I have never seen anybody that really knew Jesus that wasn't thankful. You know, David wrote in the book of Psalms, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I watched some of you people come in, and I swear, you have no joy walking in them doors. I mean, you walk in, you probably fought with your wife all the way here, your husband or your kids or whomever, and I'm kidding you not, there's no joy when you walk through them doors. Preacher, you just don't know the week I've had. Well, by golly, you sometimes don't know the week I've had. i got to deal with y'all. But we walk in here and we stomp in here, don't speak to nobody, and we'll hurry up so I can go home. Man, this is the house of the Lord. This is, this is where, and not just this place, but we're the church body, man. You ought to love each other in this joint. And if you don't love each other, if there's somebody here, I'm just going to make sense. If there's somebody here you hate, that's a you problem. You ought to run to this altar and say, God, I need help because the love of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts. And you ought to come in here going, man, I get the privilege to go to church. There are people across this world that don't have that privilege. I mean, you ought to be excited to come in this joint. Because this is God's house. I know it's just brick and mortar and all that stuff. This is God's house. And you ought to be excited, man. We walk through them doors, just whatever, and be a stinking Eeyore Christian. I'm so happy. Really? Did you walk out them doors and try it again, hoss? You know why I'm telling you this? The last one, Jesus' eternity. He's behind the veil, y'all. Now, some of you don't know what that means. See, see, in the Old Testament and all that, up until Jesus died, the high priest could go behind the veil one day a year for just a few moments to do one act, and that was to, to provide atonement. But he would... That thing was thick, y'all. If you went behind there, you got killed. You would drop dead. I mean, the high priest had a rope to his ankle in case he dropped dead. When Jesus said to tell us die, that sucker was torn from the top to the bottom, which opened up the gate. Y'all know you ain't got to come to me to get to the mercy seat. You, you don't got to come. Man, we not up in here cutting. Um, we don't got a drain right here. And y'all are steadily, well, here's my turtle dove. And I'm ripping the neck off of it and squirting all the blood out. And y'all bringing me a bull. And then, <laughs> we don't do that mess no more. Jesus paid the price. And all for eternity. We get to spend. Are you? I believe some people get mad that we're going to spend all eternity with Jesus. I got two words for y'all. Y'all crazy. And here's another truth about this eternity thing. We view death wrong. 
Death is the door to heaven. Steve just told me just a few minutes ago before I came out here. Been one year today since Miss Joanne died. Y'all know that woman crazy up in heaven. I'm just telling y'all, as crazy as she was here and is full of life, man, when that door and pathway to Jesus opened up, hello. Man, we ought to be happy when the believer dies. I know some of you are going, well, that's just crazy to say. Are you kidding me? They're in the presence of Jesus. Eternity. What a fault, man. And we get to celebrate it right here. We singing up here, man. I the choir, I'm still going to bust on y'all. We singing these great songs about, man, you're my anchor in the waves. And the choir's going, you're my anchor in the waves. Now, the word forerunner there in this passage, here it is, where Jesus had gone to the forerunner, it literally means one who comes to a place and the rest will follow. We get to go where Jesus is, if you know Him. If you know Him, you get to go where He's at. Where is He at? In heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. But if you don't, you don't get to go. I was asked this week, you know, talking about the Word and all this stuff. God never ceases to amaze about how He put people in my place during the week. Old boy came in this week and says, Can I ask you a question? Sure. You really, truly think there's only one way to heaven? Yeah, pretty sure. How do you know? I said, well, because my Bible teaches me. Oh, there you go with that Bible thing again. You know, that was written by man. I said, it was technically written by man, but it was really, truly written by God Almighty because the Bible says, again, you know, all Scriptures God breathed. He said, well, how can you be so sure of yourself? I said, because the one who came and went back is the one who said it. Jesus. I said, you ever been there to tell me? No. I said, okay, Jesus has. He told me. Some of y'all figured that out when I'm talking about it on the way home. But I'll tell you, how can all this be? How can we trust His promises? All right, so I dealt with the first, I dealt with the bottom. I'm going to quickly deal with right in the middle, and then we're done. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promises, the unchangeable character. That word means immutable. It means He cannot change. It means that He is eternal because if you're immutable, which means you cannot change, everything changes over time. Everything. So if there's something that does not change, therefore they have to be eternal. Amen? It's true. The only thing that cannot change is something that's outside of time and outside of space, and it's got to be eternal. That's Jesus the Christ. God the Father. God the Holy Spirit. God the Son. And he, what he's saying here when he talks about this, he guaranteed it with an oath. That, that word there is, I'm a to, ah, I could sit up again. I'm a tathion, or I'm a tathion. That's the word here that we have. It literally means to place 
and to change. It means to change place. So in other words, the, the unchangeable word here means that it's one that would change places. But there's an A, which is the Greek letter alpha, that added to the prefix that means it's exactly the opposite. You know what that's really saying? Jesus is not a turncoat. He's not a Benedict Arnold. Jesus will never change. And by the way, the structure of all this says it this way. If you're reading the Greek and how the Greek would get this is this. That God Himself put Himself between Him and the ones that inherit the promises. And you know who that is? Let me show you how Scripture interprets Scripture. Jesus Christ is called the mediator between God and man. So here's the second most, most important question, I believe, in Scripture. Can God be trusted? The most important question you'll ever answer in your entire life is this. Who is Jesus? See, that points to your salvation. Is He Lord or something else? The second one is this, which sort of leads to the first one. Can God be trusted? Are you willing to put, listen, not eternity on it only, but your daily also? How you walk. Where's that at for you? Is God real in your life? Thanks for listening to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcba.com.